This conversation was recorded on March 5, 2016. I have no idea what we're talking about today. What uh, What's the topic? Even though I teased you. Yeah, I figured you were Even kidding. though it's the same topic as last week. I figured you were kidding. No, I was totally totally straight. Well, well uh, you still don't know. I, well, I remember last week a little bit. I remember last week we recorded earlier than we did this week. Okay, what else you got? What else do you remember? Uh, there was a passage in Luke. There was a passage in Matthew. There was a passage in the book of Revelation. I performed particularly well last week. Yeah, I think you kind of just stayed out of it. <laughs> Wait a minute. What did what you do last week? Did I do the show by myself or were you? I know it feels like that sometimes. It but... was a five-part question. I remember that. Oh, now you're starting to zone in on it. Yeah. From and Taylor. Uh, Taylor gets two shows. Cause yeah. Yeah, why? He's going to start thinking he's special. Well, because he asked five questions. That's why. Yeah, he asked five and called it one. Yeah, it's coming back All to right. me slowly, slowly, but so I don't know where we're going. The with marriage it. feast of the lamb. Question three: Who is the lamb's wife? Oh, uh, but we—I thought he really wanted to know who is the lamb. No, that's what you wanted to answer because we all know who the lamb is. Behold, the lamb of God. John said, "That's he." Right now, we don't call the Lord Jesus Christ the Lamb, and we don't refer to him as the Lamb. We could, but we don't. No. Because it's a Jewish term, hint, hint. Why is it just Jewish? He takes away the sin of the whole world. Yeah. It has, let's just say it has a distinctly Jewish flavor to it. Because the of the Passover. Passover. Although Christ our Christ Passover, Passover. sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And he did fulfill that feast, but it's still Jewish. I mean, the Jews have a claim on it that we don't have. We that were never Jews. The Jews have a claim on that term, Lamb of God. Well, John the Baptist referenced the the bridegroom, right? That he was the bridegroom. The lamb was. He was the friend of the bridegroom, right? John Fr- yeah, was the excuse friend. me, that he was the friend of the bridegroom, yes. He was Does that have to do the with bridegroom's the marriage friend, piece, and he says the lamb of God's the bridegroom. Right. So you're agreeing with me that we've identified the bridegroom correctly. Yes. But you're well, specifically well, well, associating the lamb to Israel. So, yeah, now, now, so Taylor's question, uh, who's the lamb's wife to be? And in parentheses, he put Israel, question mark. Oh, did he put that? Yeah. I withheld that because I was waiting for a moment to reveal it. I sort of stole your thunder there, didn't I? No. It's Taylor's thunder. I sort of stole your thunder because you were the one that withheld it. No. You're just being hard headed now. Well, this is Revelation 19.7. That's right. Maybe we could read it because a lot of people might be like me and don't remember everything from last week. And then what about these non-sequitur people that listen to this first? And they go, they kept referencing last week. I better go back and listen to it. That would be the move. But just in case, go ahead, read that. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb, marriage feast. So we differentiated last week between marriage feast and marriage, supper, and breakfast. Actually, we said that the marriage and the marriage feast was the same. Or the marriage. But it encompassed in, the entire event, including could be, could be multiple breakfast, meals. Including breakfast and dinner. Okay. And his wife has made herself ready. Breakfast does not necessarily precede dinner because the, the day begins at sundown. In Israel. So dinner is the first meal. 
And Ariston is the morning meal, but the second meal, technically. Okay. Do you think that? Well, that's just to tease people because we talked about the Ariston as distinguished from the Dipnon. Right. Or dinner, Ariston breakfast last week. Mm. But this now is just a feast. Yep. So this encompasses both the the Dipnon, the dinner, the Ariston, the breakfast, and any other thing, you know, the dancing, drinking, making merry, right? The wine mm-hmm. that you can't run out of. The merriment. Is there some sort of ceremony? Well, I'm sure there is. You know, there's a lot of discussion about exactly how the ceremony was back in that day. But all of that is uh, Bible legend. I mean, I've heard so many things. Nowadays, don't they, like, hold you up on a chair and then they, like, crack some glass or something? Yeah, they step on the glass and say, L'chaim. Yeah. Yeah. So there's some sort of. And then they have the chair dance. You've seen that in perhaps uh, Fiddler on the Roof or Movies, something. Movies, like yeah. Yeah. But uh, all that stuff is uh, at least a bit speculative. It's hard to distinguish what might be Russian from what might be Jewish because mm-hmm. those were Russian Jews that you saw in Fiddler on the Roof. But there's also Eastern practices in, uh, in India that might preserve some of the Oriental touch to things. But the bridegroom coming is the big deal. Let's just say that the coming of the bridegroom is one of the major events. And we discussed that last week, too, now that it, right. now that it comes to me about... The bridegroom cometh. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go yet to meet him. Yeah, The previous show, we specifically focused in on a few parables and whether they related to this. Right. And so now we're going to talk... But now we're back to the to kind of the, the main main piece of this, which is here's the actual fulfillment, the marriage feast. Mm-hmm. The marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. So this is our word for woman, right? Gune. This is this is the word gune. This is the word uh, that we get uh, our word gynecologist from, for example, hmm. a doctor for women. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the... Um, this is a word based specifically on a wife or a woman. Mm-hmm. 221 times in the scripture, it's translated wife or woman. And uh, has an implication of a betrothed or married woman. So that Joseph was going to put away his wife, his gyne, Mary, when betrothed. And then the, the existence of the wife is one thing, but the readiness of the wife is what's in view here. She's prepared. Now, who's the wife? Yeah, who is it? Well, I think clearly it's Israel. Why is it so clear? Uh, for one, that's somebody who hasn't made herself ready yet. Okay. And that we anticipate we get ready as the Israel of God blossoms at the end of the time of Jacob's trouble and in resurrection the faithful Israel will be raised and all Israel will be saved so that then depends on the timing of this event right when you say that Israel blossoming the white the wife preparing herself or becoming ready yes makes sense in time with this have yes. we placed it in time I placed it in time I placed it in the time after Jacob's trouble. Okay. And um, 
because because that's where we are here. I mean, that's what's I believe that's what it's referencing when it talks about his wife has made herself ready. Well, isn't that circular? Because you're saying you're placing on the wife, but then you're concluding that it's Israel because it's ready. Or am I not following? Well, I think that's the context is the readiness of Israel for the Lord to come to them. All right. Give some more reasons then why this is Israel. Well, I started out with the Lamb of God, you know, where we go, behold the Lamb of God. John said that. That was to Israel. Right. You know, we know who he is, but that statement, that message, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, that message was specifically and only to Israel. And even Jesus later said, I am not come except for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. John the Baptist wasn't sent to Gentiles. Right. So when we when we talk about the Lamb of God, it has a very clear Jewish context. And what happened there, you know, what happened when here came Jesus as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world, and there was John the Baptist, the greatest of the prophets, and the kingdom of God was at hand. And why didn't it just happen all right then? Why didn't the marriage feast of the Lamb happen right then? There was only one reason it didn't. And what was that? Unbelief. The wife wasn't ready. Right. She hadn't made herself ready. So am I building a better argument now for you? Yeah, I mean, you're 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 adding to it for sure. Yep, I'm zeroing right in on here, right? Yeah, I mean, when I think about who who is Israel here, who or who, excuse me, who is the wife? I'm always um, looking back at the picture of uh, of the woman in Hosea, where God refers yes, to the uh, the unfaithful wife of God, right? Who yeah, then becomes faithful, then becomes faithful. Exactly right. You would have hoped, or you you know, in the great drama, as you read the Bible, you say. Oh, if they would just be faithful now, times of refreshing would come from the Lord, as Peter told them. As they, those who were pricked at heart, having, you know, having refused the Son of God, and, you know, very likely many of those who said, crucify him, crucify him. Mm-hmm. When Peter preaches to them, more signs and wonders are brought to him. They go, what should we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, each one of you. Mm-hmm. And God will send times of refreshing. Yeah. It's not too late. So in the great drama, you go, oh, wow, they get another chance. They're going to do it this time. And then they don't. Right. Then they don't all, you know, but just some. So God sets the thing aside nationally. and But fortunately, there's a remnant according to grace. We learned that in Romans 9, 10, 11. And so now we've lived in, this, in the time of the remnant according to grace. Times of the Gentiles no longer not being suspended, but continuing on. The dispensation of grace opening up whereby the word of God goes to Gentiles who become Christians and then understand the word of God and mm-hmm. you do, you know, broadcasts of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the wife has still not made herself ready. Now, there's that elephant in the room here, which we might as well talk about it. Right. We might as well talk about the bride of Christ. Well, let's talk about it in this context because we have dissected the bride of Christ. Let's talk about why it isn't. Let me give you a verse by which people would say. So let me just say here we've established that there's a wife and she's ready. I think it's it's powerful to track how Israel has never been ready, right? Yes. That's been the problem. Yeah, it still is. Still the problem. And that's going to come to resolution finally at that day. Yes. Um, Also, we have God in the Bible using. A wife as an analog for Israel 
And so it's an obvious choice of who this is. Now, the other thing we have, which is 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2, which when you bring up the bride of Christ, here comes Paul saying, Behold, I'm jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And that, I believe, is where, there's also Ephesians 6 or 5. But this it seems well, like not if you if you say there's also Ephesians, I'm just thinking five where people reference. But this one specifically, you yeah, say, I think oh. you're mixing things that don't match there, right? Well, that one's about husbands and wives and how they should how a husband should love his wife. I agree, and we have discussed that one in detail. Previously. We have, have we? This we have probably not enough, but I hear you. We got a whole episode on it, I think. I know, but. Maybe not that's that we not can't enough. retread that ground, but let's talk about Second Corinthians eleven too, because when we talk about the Fair wife enough. making herself ready, and here we have I espoused you to one husband. Here we have the church painted in a similar context, right? As this espoused virgin, chaste. So maybe let's address that one. Well, if as long as you say that a, a cha- an, an espoused virgin is the same thing as an unfaithful wife, then I guess we have the same thing. Because what we have with Israel, we have the unfaithful. You're the one that referenced Hosea, not me. Don't blame me for this. I'm not. Unfaithful wife. Right. You know, and then chapter 6, verse 2, you know, I'm going away. After two days, I'll come again. Right. So, so um, is that, was that verse 2? Did I get the right reference I there? That's correct. Hosea 6, 2. 6, 2. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I think there's a big distinction between I betrothed you as a chaste virgin, as an analog, compared to the unfaithful wife who just never, not ready at the time of her, mm-hmm. you know. So big difference there, big, uh, you know, large distinction there. But in the same vein, but, you know, you got faithful and unfaithful. But, I, you know, that one reference that you have here in Second uh, Corinthians 11. Second Corinthians chapter 11, we have... Um, we have an analog. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin. And that is the word for virgin, by the way. It's not the word for wife or anything. That's Parthenos. Mm-hmm. It's an unusual word, by the way, espoused. Yeah, what's that mean? Like, how could Paul Joined espouse? you together. I've joined you. It's a carpenter term. So it might be a tent maker term. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Paul writing to the Corinthians saying, I have espoused you. Yeah. yeah. I have a hard time to understand what that means. Like, how has he joined them? I mean, joined them to Christ in terms of the church. The church. He, he, you he know, founded he, their church. He founded that church. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, he wants to, he's using that an- analogy for the next verse, you know. Well, he's going to draw a line to Eve, right? Yeah, who who is. Deceived. Deceived. So this is kind of an Adam and Eve picture here. Yeah. So the chastity here is really faithfulness to the truth. That is what he's talking about, the chaste virgin. Of course, you know, that they not be deceived like Eve and seduced by Satan as she was. Mm. Because they are being deceived. And in verse 4, he says, That's he actually what's going preaches on. another Jesus whom we have not preached. Yeah. So... I don't believe that that's enough right there to qualify the church to be the wife of God in Revelation. Yeah, and let me just say this, that this is a, a this is a, an, a teaching device that Paul is using for them to understand. Yeah. It's not an allegory like Hosea is, where it's like obviously a picture 
of it. Yeah, right? it's it's more of an analog than an allegory. He's using a parallelism, but it's not like Hosea. The whole book is that. All right. It's also specifically to the Corinthians. It's not the church universal, quote unquote. No, it's not. So, not as strong there. No, but I, I mean, you can see where that goes, especially mm-hmm. when people turn around Ephesians and say it's about you know where he says I'm talking about Christ's love for the church. Mm-hmm. He says that you can see where those doctrines build from, right? But I don't find it in the 19th of Revelation. You've got to make room for Israel. And I think that, um, you know, I think that's one of the biggest problems with uh, not understanding the, the scriptures is not making room for Israel. And we're here at the end of the book of Revelation. I mean, the next, the next chapter, he's binding Satan for a thousand years. This is right before he uh, treads out the winepress of the wrath of God, you know, finishes. This is when the Lord reaps vengeance on his enemies. Let's just place the time contact. What happens is the final seven years of Daniel kicks off. Right. Three and a half years of the prophecy of the two prophets, their death, Uh their resurrection. The man of sin occupies the temple of God, presenting himself to be God, commits the abomination and makes desolate. Kicking off the time of Jacob's trouble, which is another three and a half years, except it's going to be cut short so that somebody survives. The Lord Jesus will physically then return to the earth. They shall look upon me whom they've pierced, as it says in Zechariah, and all Israel, so all Israel will be saved. Uh But the Lord has a little bit of business to do, and that is to whoop up on Israel's enemies. And so that's why he's on a white horse to conquer. He's going to make a short work of his enemies. And then he's going to grab hold of Satan, and he's going to throw him into chains, and he's going to have an angel bind him for a thousand years. That's the beginning of chapter 20. And then the millennium takes place. Yeah, so did you skip the marriage feast then? Where is it in there? The marriage feast kicks off the millennium. Well, it does. So this just doesn't say the feast commence. It says the wife has made herself ready. Okay? That's what it says. Well, the marriage of the lamb. Is the marriage gone. of the lamb, yeah. Because the marriage supper, which is the marriage feast of the lamb, blessed are they which are called. Well, the feast doesn't actually happen right there. I think that's what he was asking. Does it happen after chapter 19? Yeah, it happens after chapter 19. Okay. Yeah, because the the birds are also invited to that feast. The birds of the air are invited to that feast. And they get to eat the flesh of the destroyed enemies of, of Christ. Where's that? Where are you pulling that out of? That's out of left field for me. I know. <laughs> Just exactly where is that, huh? Yeah, exactly. Where is that? That's a, that might be the first I've heard of that. The birds of the air are going to attend the feast. Yeah, they're going to attend gonna, the feast. Same chapter. 19, 17. I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come gather yourself around to the supper of the great God. So see, that's the oh, we just had that's to read the, the rest of, the of the birds. That you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses. 
and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all, free and bond, small and great. And you think this is the same marriage feast? Well, this is uh, the, this is the <laughs> dinner for the animals, right? Yeah. yeah, this is, you know, this is where the Lord's whooping up on the beast and his armies. Yeah, verse 19, I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gather together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army, and the beast was taken with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These were both cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. Now, the wife is ready for all this and probably enjoying it. Maybe these are events that are part of the marriage feast. Multiple meals, maybe. Well, of course, the birds do get their—you their, see where I had that, right? The birds I do, do see that. It's in the same chapter. So I yeah, guess I so they have their diet not first. I guess maybe their dinner comes first. Or maybe that is the dinner, you know, the eating of the flesh of the enemies. Mm-hmm. So if the wife is Israel— uh-huh. And the Lamb's Christ, the marriage feast may encompass these events. It may, it may precede them, it may encompass them. For for Taylor's sake, I'll tell I'll say that I think the marriage supper of the Lamb is the marriage feast, I mean, mm-hmm. is between verses six and seven of Revelation chapter twenty. Between verses 6 and 7 of Revelation. Yeah, between verses 6 and 7 of Revelation chapter 20. Verse 6. Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection. On such the second death has no power, but they shall be a kingdom of priests. Excuse me. They shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And then verse 7 says, and when the thousand years are expired. So it's sometime in between that. That's precise. Well, <laughs> there's hardly any room at all between verses 6 and 7. I mean, one might say there's no room at all, so it is a tight squeeze to put the entire millennium in there, beginning with the, with the marriage feast, kicking off. Really the reading between the lines. Literally. <laughs> yeah. So it's not, it's not at the end of the seven years. It's at the beginning of the thousand years. It's the abundant entrance that uh, Peter talks about in Second Peter. So this is the day the Lord has made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. So we'll be in it. We'll be the, we'll be in the heavens. We'll be in the heavens in for the this marriage feast. We'll have already been taken to the judgment seat of Christ before He comes. Right. So we'll come with Him. We'll go to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. So what I'm trying to get at is his question four, which is not his final question, but the final question we'll respond to, which he says, who are the invited guests to well, the marriage? Well, the birds are some. The birds are there. The nations are apparently invited. In, well, they're in invited to be the food. Right. So the food is prepared, at least for the, the bird food. The wife is there. Wife is there. We've got we've got saved Gentiles to come through. The, 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 the sheep goat judgment in Matthew chapter 25, that has to happen. When the king comes, he'll sit on his throne, judge the sheep and the goats, see who gets to come into the millennium. There's your guests. So where are we? We're in the heavens. We're in the heavens. This is not our dispensation right here. There are other people besides just us. Well, isn't our opportunity in the millennium, though? 
Yeah, but that's already been that's already been decided. It's been divvied out, but I mean, this is sounds like a fun event. Well, yeah, the, you're saying we don't. You know, the whole thing's not here. But we we put it in between verses six and seven. The details not there. This is just giving us a narrative whereby we go. Oh, this is how that starts, and then when it's over, this other thing will happen. I mean, he finishes up with Satan and uh-huh. the nations, Gog and Magog. By the way, here's an interesting fact I'll just throw in. Here's the reference to Gog and Magog. Here it is right here. This is the Ezekiel reference, Gog and Magog. This is what we find referenced in Ezekiel. When is this? Which verse are you in? Verse 8. But the context is the first seven words of uh, verse 7. When the thousand years are expired. So everybody's waiting for the Gog and Magog war? Are there people waiting for that? I've never even heard of that. Yeah, you don't know about people waiting for that? No. Is that like a cultural phenomenon or something? Uh Christian cultural phenomena? Yeah. I'm I'm Yeah, it is it's, it's a piece of confusion. People are looking for Gog and Magog. Yeah, out of Ezekiel chapter thirty eight. Oh, you want to get into Ezekiel thirty eight again, huh? There's a thirty seven, that's a tough one. Well, there, you know, look, uh, Ezekiel 36, 37, 38, 39, they're all challenging. Yeah. Yeah. So. Just what, want to point out to you that this is the Gog-Magog War, and when is it? It's at the end. After the thousand years. It's all, it's a thousand years plus away. It's a thousand and seven years away. Yeah, so least. don't be waiting for it. Are people, don't be looking for Yeah, there's no reason to be looking for it this time. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of repositions uh, Ezekiel 38 in the minds of most prophecy students. Hmm. What's it say in Ezekiel 38 about Gog and Magog? It says, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, which in my youth people said is Moscow and Tobolsk, but it's not. And prophesy against him and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I'm against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and I will turn thee back, put hooks in thy jaws, I'll bring thee forth, and thine army, thy horses, and thy horsemen, all them clothed with swords of, all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shield, all them handling swords, Persia, Ethiopia, Libya, with all of them, with shield and helmet, Gomer and all his bands, the house of Togomar, Turkey, Germany, the north quarters, all his bands, many people with thee, and, uh, you know, I myself uh, have looked for that, but recently noticed that, you know, unless Gog and Magog are going to do this twice, mm-hmm. uh, that this thing's on the other side of the millennium. For sure it is on the other side of the millennium, whether it's going to do it twice and it's on the front side is now remains to be proven. So let's go back to the marriage feast, and then yes. you can just put a bow on it for us. Kind of give me the, give me your summary. Obviously, we don't have to address all the points again. But someone says marriage feast of the Lamb. What's that all about? Give us your. That's about the Lord's apocalypse. That's about the Lord touching His feet down on the Mount of Olives. It's split and wide open. The nation of Israel, looking upon me, whom they have fierced, all believing. The Israel of God now being established. That kicks off the wonderful entrance of the Lord Jesus, second coming. 
He's on a white horse. He whoops up on his enemies, invites the birds to the dinner, judges the nations, distinguishing the sheep from the goats, as as described to us in Matthew chapter 25, and sets, you know, about building the millennial temple as, as is laid out in Ezekiel, starts a system of sacrifice that's not exactly Levitical, but that's Ezekiel. Don't go there. Don't go to the sacrifice. All that, you know, and that, and then righteous, then he'll rule with a rod of iron for a thousand years, and we'll be involved from the heavens as we have replaced the heavenly host that got thrown down to the earth in Revelation 13, chapter 12. When the stars of the heavens are thrown down to the earth, 